I want to highlight a couple of things that God's been doing here lately. And if we could uh, just remember back a couple of weeks ago, you might want to pull the reverb out of me here, Ethan, if you could. That'd be great, man. Um, Isaiah, a man from Burundi, was here. And uh, how many of you remember Isaiah here on stage two weeks ago? We took up an offering and we just asked for those that had cash to um, maybe give what you could. We know we didn't have much cash because we don't carry much cash. We collected up $1,080 for this guy. And that's, that's cool. But let me tell you the rest of the story here that is really amazing. He came to America for the Global Leadership Summit. First time he'd ever been to America and he was praying one thing. He was asking God for $1,000 somehow from someone some way because that $1,000 is going to pull off in Burundi, one of the poorest nations in the entire world. It is going to pull off two evangelistic crusades that are going to reach about 50,000 people, guys. Yeah. That's a big praise. I also want to do a quick shout out here on a couple of things. Uh, one is I want to thank so much 180 Kids and Celeste, who's doing an amazing job. Give her a hand right here. A young girl was with her mom at Pizza with Pastors last week, and somehow we got asking, how are things doing? How'd you hear about this? And did, did you enjoy church? And somebody asked this young girl, do you enjoy church? And she said, it wasn't just good, it was great. <laughs> and she loved 180 kids that much, guys. So props, you're doing a great job, young lady. Yeah, you can give her a hand. the end of this service, we're going to have a time to apply this message today, so I want to put on my track shoes here and get rolling this morning. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that you would allow me to truly get out of your way. Open wide the gates that the King of Glory may come in. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord mighty, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. So, Father, do your work. Do your work here this morning through your word. And I'm going to listen to you as you prompt me along with what I've prepared and what you've prepared. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I called a friend of mine yesterday in Alaska to make sure I had my story straight. Sometimes hard to remember things that happened when I was, as I was reminded, 15 years old. I was 15 years old, and I had just gotten uh, my first set of Alaskan Huskies. They were a hodgepodge group. I had a couple of big hairy boogers in the wheel. The wheel position is right in front of the sled. Big, hairy, strong dogs. These guys were just beasts. And then I had a swing dog that was in the middle there that she was kind of a medium-sized dog, and I had two dogs in lead, and one was like my hair color almost, kind of a, that, that kind of a shade. And then the other one was just this beautiful black and white husky. And it was just a group of hodgepodge group. And the, the swing dog was actually the first dog I'd ever gotten. And I'd gotten her from the dog pound and she was about to be put down. But she looked like an Alaskan husky and looked strong and looked like she could pull a sled. So I went and rescued her. Incredible little team. But soon we had big dreams, 
When you're 15, you got big dreams in Alaska, you go and do some crazy stuff. And we had dreamed of taking my team along with my buddy Cal, his team, and go to an area called Resurrection Pass outside of Anchorage down the Seward Highway, past Portage Glacier, if you've been in Alaska or any of that area, all the way to when you go up into these mountains, into this area where today my good friend Mitch Seavey, who's won the Iditarod four times, actually still trains his dog team. But we'd never been up in Resurrection Pass, and all I know is that we wanted to get up to Trout Lake. It wasn't many miles in, just eight, nine, ten miles, not too many miles in, but to get to Resurrection Pass required that we were going to have to go up through a lot of switchbacks, and it was going to be heavy duty, and my dog team hadn't run any more than four to five miles at one go. We had hoped to get out at a good time, and we needed a guy to take us there because we needed to load him up into a dog box in a dog truck. And so we found a guy. And last night I was talking with Cal and I said, how old was Dave Madry? And he goes, Carl, he was like probably 18 or 19 years old. And at that time for me, I was like, I had picked a really old guy to take us on this trip. <laughs> and to this day, I remember Dave Madry as being like this old guy. <laughs> and he's like, he was 18. I'm like, he's 18. The dude had a full beard and he talked like he had, you know, been raised in the woods for 40 years. So we loaded up the dog truck, headed for Resurrection Pass, and we, as typical, everything was late. We had never loaded up a dog truck with a freight sled and all this gear that we were going to be in there for a few days. But we loaded everything up, got down to the to the the trailhead right there where it began at Resurrection Pass, loaded up our teams, and my team's just going nuts because they're a sprint team. Cal's team was more of a slower team, but he had a lot of them, so I took half the goods, and Dave, Madry, and Calvin rode on a freight sled, and they kind of shared runners. You got a runner each. If you're riding tandem on a sled, you just kind of stand on one runner each, and you go trucking on down the trail and run up hills and fall off and laugh your head off. It's a lot of fun. You ought to try it sometime. So we headed out, and immediately we got into these crazy, hairy switchbacks, and we'd never seen them before. And, I, man, we're getting up into Resurrection Pass. It's Resurrection Pass because some guys need to be resurrected out of the gullies that they fall into. I'm convinced of it. So we're going up through these switchbacks, and my little race team, when I've got my sled dogs, are looking over the edge going, Ooh, this is dicey. It's dicey. And so we're, we're going slow up through there, and now we're getting into hills. We're starting to crest that pass. And as we're cresting the pass, we're getting into steep, steep hills. And I'm off the sled, and I'm pushing because now my sprint team is totally out of gas. We're at six miles, seven miles, and it's steep, and it's steep. And so I'm running beside the sled, and I'm pushing for all I can. And the time is going by in an hour and two hours and three hours. And now we're barely walking and we get up onto the mountain pass and the moon is out. And I mean, it is beautiful out. And yet I am sweating profusely while it's about 20 below zero, which in Alaska is a bad combination. I'm a little bit ahead of Calvin and Dave. And as I come around one bend where we thought it's got to be here soon, sure enough, we come around the bend, and there I saw it. I feasted my eyes on the Trout Lake cabin, and I thought, oh, no, we have got a problem. And the problem was simply this. 
Every window had been shattered out of this cabin. The door had been knocked off. A snowdrift had blown. And by this time, Dave and Cal have pulled up. And they're pulled up behind me. And we get off of our sleds, put our snow hooks in. Snow hooks are like emergency brakes for dogs. A big old claw of metal. Jam that thing down in snow and ice and walked up to inspect this cabin a little more closely. And we got a snowdrift that's filling that cabin so much that it's about this much room to slide into the cabin. And if we slid into the cabin, the wood stove is covered with snow. There's nothing on the beds but steel springs, and it's 20 below zero. And Dave Madry, the guy that is the old dude with the full beard, he's starting to get a little bit loopy. And we're like, oh no, we got hypothermia setting in on this guy. And we knew enough about survival at this point that we're in trouble. And Cal and I look at each other and we say, man, we can't stay here tonight. What are we going to do? Cal says, our teams are exhausted, man. But we can't stay here. And we were in a bind, guys. I don't know that I'd be here today if we'd have hung there that night. So we looked at Dave. We said, Dave, Dave, listen to us, man. We're going we're gonna to turn around. We're going to get out of here. We're going to eat something first. And so we got out a little Optimus stove. It burns just blue hot flame. Pumped that thing up. We threw a couple of pieces of toast that were frozen on top of the Optimus stove. We just burned it just to get some food into us. Crammed some smoked salmon into our gullet. And then we started eliminating all the weight from the sleds that we could eliminate. We even left behind a survival 22 that barely weighed anything. We left behind 20, 30 pounds of dog food, a lot of personal supplies. We left behind anything that we could that we didn't think we might need for survival on the way back. And we grabbed those dogs, and I'll never forget grabbing my lead dogs. I go, guys, we're going to go back. And they're looking at me like, we are exhausted. I say, we got to get out of here, man. We're in trouble. We're going to die up here. And you build a relationship with these dogs where it's almost like they know what you're saying. And when I told them, look, we're going to die up here, they're like, all right, well, let's get going. <laughs> and they, they start walking out and heading on down the trail. And I ran in front of them. And sometimes when dogs need encouragement, a musher will run in front of them. And I'm running in front. I'm going, come on, guys. we got a long way to go. Now it's 2 a.m., and it's getting colder. There's not a breath of wind, but it's 20 below zero. And I mean, you can hear everything just crunching under your feet. And the sled plastic wasn't the right kind of plastic for that cold weather. And now we're having to push hard on the sled to keep the sled sliding. Well, as the night went on, we finally got there. And when we got down to the truck, we breathed a sigh of relief. Started up the truck, got ourselves warmed up, got some food that we had left, kind of celebrating with each other, but now we're just totally fatigued and exhausted. And Dave said, I'm driving, let's go. We're driving and got almost back to Anchorage, and Dave fell asleep at the wheel, piled it into the rock face of Turnigan Arm, boogered up the front right quarter panel, messed up everything. Guy came along to pull us out of the ditch. He uh, had a big nylon strap. He tied that thing onto that bumper and he gave it a good tug. And then he said, that's not enough. Let me take a run at it. And he took a run at it and wham, ripped the whole tailgate off of our truck. We're like, oh no. 
Somebody else came along and helped dig us out. We finally made our way down the road with a boogered up truck, exhausted dogs, near-death experience. And we got home from a trip that we had anticipated incredible things were going to happen in Resurrection Pass. We'd heard about this cabin. We had anticipated a lot. But boy, our experience was far from what Trout Lake Cabin was supposed to be. We woke up after a little bit of sleep, and then we got the word. If we would have just gone a little bit further down the trail, about 500 yards around the corner and to the right was the real Trout Lake Cabin. Fully stocked with wood, totally secure, every window in place, beds made and ready to roll. It's possible when we get home to God, we will discover we were missing something in this journey. That much could have changed our journey here significantly. And this morning I have one of those things. This morning I have one of those things that if you go all the way through this life and you think you've experienced God and you haven't done this and made it part of your life, you've missed it like we missed Trout Lake Cabin. title of this message today is just Good Father. How many believe he's good? Before I even go to the passage that we're going to look at today, I want to read to you something from John Piper. He said it so well, I can't do any better than what he said. Listen to me. He says, when you pause to consider that God is infinitely strong and can do all that he pleases and that he is infinitely righteous so that he only does what is right and that he is infinitely good so that everything he does is perfectly good and that he is infinitely wise so that all he always knows he perfectly executes and it is right and good and that he is infinitely loving so that in all his strength and righteousness and goodness and wisdom he raises the eternal joy of his loved ones as high as it can be raised when you pause to consider this then the lavish invitations of this God to ask him for good things with the promise that he will give them is unimaginably wonderful. This means that one of the great short-term tragedies in the church is how little inclination we have to pray. Greatest invitation in the world is extended to us in this passage we're going to look at and incomprehensibly we regularly turn away to other things or could I say we never go around the corner we stop short and so our common Christian experience is not even what Jesus said and this is one of the great dangers of our day is that in settling for an American dream which isn't the worst thing but it isn't the end all we fall so short of this supernatural, unctioned, anointed, Holy Spirit-fueled life. Neglecting to take God at his word, missing the directions, and coming up one right turn away from bounty like you've never imagined. 
And that's what we have today. Oh, don't let the familiarity of this passage cause you to go to sleep. Wake up. Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says, as he continues almost with whiplash from the last little topic that he was on, but it's not linked to it, he says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Now a lot of people have different opinions about what's being said here. These are three different Greek words for ask, seek, and knock. But let me just put it to you in simple terms. It's increasing levels of persistence. It's asking, and then the original language talks about seeking, much as you'd go maybe seeking someone that you're looking for in a neighborhood, and then knocking is exactly that, just knocking. It's increasing levels of persistence. And here's what it implies. It implies an unwillingness to settle for less than God's answer. And this is what I, I, I need you to hear, my heart on this thing, and, and I'm preaching to me today because I can find myself going through a week sitting at an old trapper's cabin spiritually when right around the corner is this fully stocked relationship with the God of this age who deals a blow to the prince and power of the air. His name is Jesus. And he speaks of his Father and what the Father wants to do for us. And I want you this morning to be wholly unwilling to stop short and to go around the corner. Go around the corner. So here's the point. Jesus not only invites us to engage our Father with requests, he promises that he will deliver in tangible ways. He hears you when you call. When you look for his counsel, you'll find him. And there's no privacy barrier. You can knock on the door. There's no barrier between you and he. But Jesus wanted to clear up the issue of believability. Can prayer be this productive? Is God really this accessible? How are we going to know that God is the God who says and means, ask, seek, and knock? You got a request, you got a burden, you got a job, you need wisdom, you, you need to decide, am I going to move, am I going to stay, who am I going to date, how's this going to go, should I go this direction, should I go that? Do I mean, and I've often heard it said, that we should have this Moment by moment, oh God, left or right here, left or right here. No, no, but I will say this. Too many in the evangelical word have diminished the power of the Holy Spirit to guide and prompt through life. And I want to remind you of something I shared about four weeks ago. Someone once asked me, Carl, do you find yourself in a conversation being convicted of things that you're saying And I say, in one conversation, I can find God telling me, whoa, bring it down a notch here, Carl. And in the same conversation, whoa, don't diminish yourself. You're in me, Carl. In one conversation, the Spirit of God can be speaking to us. 
Jesus not only invites us to engage our Father with requests, he promises that he will deliver in tangible ways. But is this God accessible? And how accessible is he? Well, Jesus goes on to illustrate how accessible God is in the funniest way. Verses 9 and 10, very short. And he says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Now, what's interesting here is that some theologians have said, oh yeah, you know, what's implied here is that the serpent that was unclean for the Jewish people and, and fish, they both kind of got scales. And Don't read too much into it here. The bottom line is that Jesus is using a father-son relationship to illustrate the goodness of our God. And I'd just put it to you this way. Any reasonably healthy father reflects our heavenly father. He's not a game player or aiming to deceive us. Our God is not. He says, ask, seek, or knock. And keep talking, keep asking, keep pursuing, keep knocking. And then he says, look at your own dads. Now, Jesus was not ignoring the fact that some dads give us a picture of our heavenly father that is flawed. And I want to be clear with this today. When Jesus said, which of you, I believe he fully understand there were some that were listening to him that had a horrible picture of the heavenly father because of a very dysfunctional earthly father. I am certainly not a perfect reflection of God myself. I've had to ask my children for forgiveness for missed opportunities and messed up responses. Not likely to write a parenting book. I think I was a really good dad and my bride was a really good mom, but most of what I would write is how to ask for forgiveness of your children. And it's been a humbling thing and an awesome thing. But the average dad reflects a powerful spiritual principle. We dads want our kids to be provided for. I said, we dads want our kids to be provided for. There are things that God will do that will offset inherent challenges of being his kids. And I want to be really practical theologically because Jesus said that those who follow me will encounter tons of difficulties and persecution just because we carry the name of the Father. So I thought, and I was wrestling with this, how do I bring this thing home? Because we both ask the Father for good things, and yet there's some inherent challenges being a child of God. There's some things that are going to come our way that are not always going to be fun. There's going to be tough stuff. And I've got a little bit of a clumsy illustration here for you, but I hope it comes home for you just a little bit. When our, our son and daughter were going through middle school, in those middle school years, how many would you say, that's like, whoo, that shows you you don't want to go through that patch again right there. Those middle school years, those are brutal years. And our kids were coming through middle school, and they were coming into high school, and they're at that 
seventh, eighth, ninth grade range. And about that time, I drove a truck that was super economical. It had all kinds of broken things on it. And I loved it. Because my wife had a nice car. I had the pastor's truck. My kids? Mom, can you take us to school? Dad's busy. But invariably, we'd split duty 50-50 and I haul them up to school. And man, that campus was just buzzing with kids and I always seem to drop off our kids when there's just like tons of people around. And I'd roll in and I'd try to make the truck look good. It didn't look that bad on the outside, but it had one feature that my kids were wigged out about. You could not open the passenger door from inside. (laughs) You had to even in the dead of winter, roll down. Yes, I said roll down. Some of you don't know what it is. Look it up in Wikipedia. You had to roll down that passenger window. You had to do the death reach for a middle schooler. You had to reach out of that door. You had to grab the outside handle, flip that thing up in order to get the door open and escape that beautiful ride. My kids were dying at that age. They were like, Dad, pull down further, pull down further. Don't let us out here, Dad. Please, Dad, don't let us out here. So sometimes I pulled out further and came in one time. He said, Dad, there's some... let those girls get by. And we're sitting in the car. Hey, it's hanging out. The girls are looking like, when are they getting out? Cabin's like, let's pretend we're praying or something. (laughs) It was horrible. And And I remember thinking, I'm having such a good time. Why aren't they? They would take turns. Usually you didn't want to sit next to that on that big bench seat, but when you're going to school, middle school, you didn't want to be by the door, let me tell you. Because you were cranking that bad boy down and reaching out and unlocking that thing. And it was a moment of misery. I remember Muriel saying, oh, Dad, 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 okay, pull up a little bit further. All right. Oh, there's some buses coming. Let's get out quick, Cabin. Boom, flip that thing, get the hand back in, open the door. See you, Dad. Boom, run off. I say that because there's some elements of living the Christian life that aren't embarrassing, but they're tough. They're hard. And some of them can't be avoided. To be given the name of Jesus, the name above all names, carries with it some cost attached to it. Jesus said it was going to happen. And although this isn't a perfect illustration, I want to drive this home because Jesus said if the If the earthly father who loves his child a little bit loves him like this, he's going to say, how much more so our father who is in heaven? And I was thinking, now, how did I moderate that pain? Well, back in middle school for my kids, there was a certain jacket you had to have. 
And I remember when my bride and I had a sit down. And we didn't have a budget column for these jackets. But my bride recommended we skim some money off some columns to get each of our kids a fleece North Face jacket. (laughs) You had to have it. Because my kids got dropped off with a not-so-sexy truck. When they asked for those North Face jackets, we got them. Sometimes we go through some tough stuff being God's kids. Sometimes we can't chase the stuff that other people chase, but God in his goodness says, you know what? I'm going to pop for a North Face. But you got to go around the corner. You got to tell your heavenly Father, Father, I don't like that door handle. But man, I'd really love a North Face. He says he hears. And I've seen it happen over and over again. And then he really drives it home. If you then, who are evil, be very careful with this. Jesus is using a communication tool to explain something powerful here. He's talking about the fallen nature of human beings. He's trying to be dramatic. You who are fallen and in need of life. Listen now closely. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven good give good things to those who ask him. And Jesus is not focusing on our fallenness here. He's focusing on the gap between our constraining sinfulness and God's limitless greatness. And he's saying, listen to me. If imperfect Pastor Carl could raise a couple of kids that drive a jalopy to school and he gets them a North Face fleece jacket and if he's going to write books on parenting it'll be all the times he went to him and said would you forgive me how much more so our father how good is he but here's the problem we've stopped at the wrong Trout Lake cabin We've not taken God at his word. We've not believed that if we ask him, he really wants to lavish good things on us. But he does. In fact, I'll put it to you this way. Jesus invites kids of the new kingdom to trust our Father and ask him for good things. Does this mean that God won't give us everything? Yeah, it does. Because God is the giver of good things. 
And it does mean that God will give us the things that are good for us. But does it imply that if we never ask, we will never receive? Yes, it does. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said those very things. So simply stated today, this is a super simple passage of Scripture. But so was getting the Trout Lake Cabin. We had a map. We had it all mapped out. We knew where we had to go. Just go up all these switchbacks and go, and we're going to get to Trout Lake. And all we had to do was go around the corner, and some of us go to church, and we worship about God. But let me ask you, do you ask and seek and knock and believe that there is a good God who knows the door handle's broken, but he's got some fleece for you. And uh, the only thing in this simple little text that I could think of that you could all relate to here, and I'm glad so many of of you that I was thinking of when I was coming up with this final concluding little illustration are here today. I want to tell you how much of a fleece jacket you are to me and my bride. When we started this church, it was me and my bride. We just started calling a couple of people. And we began to pray and We'd pray and walk downtown, right by Moody Bible Institute. Pray and walk, pray and walk. And then my bride and I began to ask God for something. And whether you know it or not, some of you came to 180 because you are God's fleece jacket to this church saying, well, Carl, how does that work? Well, let me tell you how it works. We saw early on that, oh my goodness, and I'm going to be real practical here, real practical. We found out early on that there's some people who come to church and they, they just want to come to go, what do you got for me? But we didn't have enough rebar in this foundation to be able to minister to those folks and you know what we began to pray honest to goodness we'd get on our knees and we'd say this oh dear God give us some rebar give us some steel for the foundation of this church who have so met with you so powerfully that God we're able to care for the needs of people we need fleece (laughs) Got to have it. And you know, my bride and I have had the privilege of being a part of a, a few pretty powerful works in our time. But nearly a year ago, my bride went through a health crisis. Some of you are new here and you don't know this, but my wife had a really serious cancer scare with ovarian cancer. Big mass was taken out of her. We prayed. Many of you are here praying with us. I believe God may have suspended natural and law, natural law, and provided a miracle. I don't know for sure. It could have just been a garden variety healing. 
but I need you to know that my bride is like the bellwether for me of God's provision because when my wife is happy, I'm a happy man. And she told me then and she tells me now and we talk behind your back all the time. (laughs) And she tells me, Bub, I don't think we have ever ministered in a group of people that are more loving or more rock solid and giving of themselves more than this group of people at 180 Chicago. So I, I need you, yeah, you can go ahead. I need, I need you to know that when we get to heaven, we're going to look back at this beautiful canvas. We're going to see behind it all of these intertwining threads of prayers and how they all worked out. And here's what I want to tell you before we get there. When you look at the back side of this, you're going to see God brought you here as an answer to our prayers, whether you like it or not. <laughs> And by the way, the story goes on. We got a really cool test result back on my bride last week. My wife is still free and clear of anything. And I got to tell you guys, I'm glad I don't get a salary here because for the message this week, I'd have to give my salary back. (laughs) Because this message that Jesus gave is as simple as get around the corner. Ask, seek, and knock. We've got a good, good father. So we're going to apply this message right now. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your heads, focus. I am going to ask you to get out a piece of paper or a phone. Nudge someone next to you. If you don't know who they are, introduce yourself and say, give me a slip of paper. Because we're going to exercise this right now. I'm going to ask you right now, right now. I'm going to ask you to begin to journal quietly while the band plays over us here. What you've neglected to ask, seek, or or knock on God's door for and do it today. And then I'm going to ask you to watch this week as God moves. Yeah. So I want you to journal right now on your phone, on a piece of paper. If you can remember a couple of things in your head, you do that. But we're going to apply this message today. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray believing that we've got a good father who, even with the beat up trucks, he loves to give his kids some fleece. So Caleb's going to sing over us this song always here, just a little bit of it. We're going to go through some movements of prayer, and we'll let you out of here in a short amount of time, but I want you to redeem this time. And I'm asking you, ask, seek, 
knock and then believe. I'm asking you to be bold with your prayers right now. Bold with your prayers. You get around the corner. Don't you dare settle this side of heaven for less than what God promises you. Pray it out. Write it out. You need wisdom, ask for wisdom. You need breakthrough, ask for breakthrough. You need his grace to get you out of an addiction. You ask, seek, and knock. You pull sin out of shadows. You get everything right before the king of kings. He's good. He's good. You got a wayward kid? You put him right there at the foot of the cross and say, God, now move in power. Yeah. You got an incrossable river. Tell God about it right now. Lay it out. Lay it out. Give him the big stuff. 